Good morning, church. Welcome to our in-studio guests at WFCC 90.9. If you're joining with us at home, we're really glad that you're here as well. So uh, it's been a minute, right? It's been a minute? Been a minute? A few minutes since you've been here? Are you glad to be here? For those of you who are here, are you guys excited to be here? Yeah. And if you're at home, uh, you should be clapping too because you're able to be at home and, and doing this as well. So we're glad that you're here with us. So... Uh, back in the day when I was in student ministry, uh, I took a group of teens two years in a row to Atlanta, Georgia for a mission trip. And uh, the, I'll never forget the, the first uh, night and morning that we were there the first year that we went. So we drive down to Atlanta uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio. And when we get there, it was at late at night. And so this was new surroundings, late, late at night. Uh, it's dark. And so we didn't know like where we were, right? So uh, we decided to stay in the, uh, the, the headquarters there of the ministry that we were serving instead of going to a hotel room. Because we wanted to get the feel that, that we were not here for, for ourselves, but we were there for someone else. And so uh, it, when we got in there, it was like an old church building. So we all had like blow up mattresses and stuff. So you could really get the feel. All the teams knew and I knew and all of our volunteers knew this was, we were not uh, here for ourselves. This was some, we're, we were here on a mission for someone else. So we, we get to bed late at night and then we, uh, we sleep. We get up in the morning and we go down to the basement to, uh, start packing meals because we're going to start taking meals to all over the city of Atlanta. And so we, we do that and then we go outside and we are there with a few other groups. So we circled up about a hundred people, uh, circled up and we started praying and we also had the, the director of this ministry come and talk to us. And this is the kind of essence of what he said. Hey, uh, where you're going, you need to make sure that wherever you go, you are with your guide. You are with the seven bridges to recovery team. Don't leave them. Don't go somewhere else. Make sure you stay with them. And uh, throughout the day, we understood why. So our first stop, we get into the 15 passenger vans and we uh, follow our team leader, uh, this these guys who have had been around the block a few times, uh, they took us to this parking lot near an overpass in the city of Atlanta. If you ever driven through Atlanta, you know that there's a lot of overpasses and underpasses and highways and byways and it's all kinds of fun stuff, right? You probably, like if you tried to go through there, you probably sat there on one of those highways for a little while other than just driving, right? So we, we get out of the vans and we start walking down the sidewalk. And as we're walking to the sidewalk, we're getting closer to the bridge, the overpass. And instead of continuing over the overpass, we take a left-hand turn down a little pathway and we walk down underneath that overpass. So we've got the buzzing of the, the cars right below us and we take a right hand turn and we go underneath the concrete and, uh, a stench hits us all right in the face. One that you would never sign up to smell. Uh, one that was not exactly, uh, Febreze. Wasn't, wasn't that. Uh, but when we got under there, we, we gazed up and what we saw as the, as the concrete went up, there was a ledge, and uh, this was like right underneath the bottom of the bridge. And up there, we saw pillows and blankets and all kinds of stuff. We were in someone's home. Just layered, like lined up people who would live there. 
And, and like for me, like that was a moment that rocked my world, right? Because I was never like used to uh, that kind of thing. Like I knew poverty existed and all that stuff. But if I would have gone to Atlanta myself, I wouldn't have seen any of that. Wouldn't have thought to go down there. Uh, and so we uh, we put put the bags of meals there and, and we go to the next stop. No, none of the people were there, but we went to another stop. And by the end of the day, we uh, ended the day uh, at the neighborhood that was home to the number one drug dealing corner in all of Southeast United States of America. And I remember walking through this neighborhood. Uh, it was just so impoverished, so broken down and beaten down. And we're going there and praying with people and talking to them. And we were with our guides. I can only imagine like one of the teens got away or something, what would have happened? Because we were in a place that would have been unsafe if they were alone. And I just remember like one of the things I walked away with from that trip was just a realization of how humbling that was, of a realization of, wow, I needed a guide to go with me. Otherwise, I would have been, I was not in Kansas anymore. We'll say that. I was not in a place where it would have been safe for me to be alone. And we all like go through life. And, and how many of you have been on a trip? Uh, and uh, how many of you know that a trip with a guide who knows more than you do about the area is a little bit more fun than one just alone? Anybody been there? See, I think what happens is over time we live life and we get used to the path that we're walking. And some of us, we've convinced ourselves that we no longer need a guide to get us through the day. Because what we've been used to, we've kind of got it figured out, right? Like you kind of just know. But what if, like a lot of us, we've been on a path and what we've really been in is in the passenger seat of our friend, Mr. Comfort Zone. And he's just taking us where we're comfortable with. But what if life was better with a better guide? I think it is. And so we're going to look at a, a psalm, one of the God's greatest playlists ever, one of his songs in Psalm 139. And we're going to see what it looks like to follow after a better guide and maybe the life that that would open up for us. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 139. That's where we're going to be, Psalm 139. And this is what David says, starting in verse 1. He says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Lord, you have searched me and known me, verse 1. You, have, you, you know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You don't understand my thoughts from far away. You know it all. You've searched me and known me. It's like begin, since the beginning of our existence as humans, we've been asking these kinds of questions of like, okay, what's out there? You ever ask yourself that? What's out there? Out there, like out there. Does God exist? And if so, if God exists, what is he like? Because it's a big question. And uh, around the 17th and 18th century, philosophers started to see, like, you know what? It kind of makes sense that there would be some kind of supreme being out there. Like, that he created all this stuff because they see, they look out on the span of the world. Like, maybe you look outside at night and you're like, wow, the universe is so much bigger 
than I can even imagine. And it makes you think, like, it does make sense that there would be a God who has created all things. But these philosophers, they, they had to stop there. Because they did not believe that God would reveal himself to us. Well, basically what they, they espoused to was the belief that God created stuff, you know, natural law uh, processes, your human anatomy, your systems in the way of reproduction, and just kind of like made that and then sat it there. And maybe he's sitting on his couch, eating some popcorn, and just watching it all kind of take place. You know, turning on the news and like, what happened today? Maybe seeing what, what, what happened in your house and just kind of like, or maybe he's just like not even interested at all. So this is called deism. A lot of people who believe in God, but don't believe that he reveals himself to humanity, don't believe that he is involved in humanity, don't believe that God cares about you. And so we see in this psalm a lot of theology about who God is. See, the God we worship is not a deist kind of God. Uh, he, he's exactly the opposite. He created all things, yes, but he knows everything about you. He knows the things that you have swept under the rug. He knows the things that are in your closet that you'll never tell anybody about. He knows all the insecurities you have. He knows all the victories you want to have. He knows every little piece and crevice inside of you. He has known you from before you have even existed. He has known you. He has searched you. And this is the crazy thing. There's probably, all of us would probably admit that there's some stuff or maybe you wouldn't admit this, but you know it's true, that there's some stuff about you that you don't want anyone else to know and you will never tell anybody about. Because if you just thought about, if they knew about me, everything about me, they would not want to be around me. They wouldn't want to know me or love me or care for me. There's probably some stuff that you don't go to with anyone. And yet God knows that. And instead of smiting you, (laughs) instead of smiting me, because that's what we deserve, he leans in, he searches you, he tries to show you that he knows you. This is crazy stuff, because this is the God who created the whole entire universe cares about little old you. Just think about that for a little bit. The fact that God created all the things. And he knows all the stuff, all that stuff that's inside of you. And yet, what does he say in verse 5? You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. So the last few months have been uh, a roller coaster, I'm sure, for a lot of us. Introverts, you've been like, I've been living my best life. Amen. We can keep the quarantine up. Like, I'm getting uncomfortable now, right? (laughs) Y'all can admit it. It's fine. Us extroverts have been dying, (laughs) like, inside. So, uh, I'm sure you've had moments. uh, Have you ever been around someone? Let's go here. Have you ever been around someone, maybe maybe a spouse, maybe a kid, like your, your child, or maybe just a friend who had just had enough? They, they hit their breaking point. Like the, the kids got on the last nerve and the last nerve was gone, right? The last nerve was smushed. You ever been there? You ever seen someone lose it? 
like enrage themselves or frustrate or they just break down into tears. Anybody ever been there? Seen somebody? Have any of you been there yourself? I can say yes to both. And, and just, just to be completely honest, the first, uh, in the, within the first couple of weeks of all the COVID stuff happening, all, all of this, uh, I, I was, I was decision fatigue. Just, that's a thing, right? Like the, just making decisions all the time. That's a, that's a thing. I was feeling it. All the pressure of, of leading us through this in a responsible manner alongside of the elders trying to make sure we're making decisions that are wise and faithful to God and also safe for all of us and like all the stuff that like life was just changing and I was just feeling it. Uh, it was a lot of pressure. And, uh, I, I just like started to get like dark and gloomy. Like you ever been there when just all of life is just dark and gloomy, even though the sun's shining, like you just, you just can't do it. Well, that's kind of where I was. And because of that, uh, the, the tension I was feeling inside of me, even though maybe I wasn't trying to express it outwardly, it was emanating from me to other people. And, and I could see that especially happening with, uh, Sarah and me. So the tension was rising. I wasn't telling her all the stuff that was going on inside of me about it. Because uh, I just felt like, you know, I just need to get through this. <laughs> I just need to work through it. And I'm just like, let's just keep going. Because if I, if I try to stop, then everything's going to fall apart. This is where I, where I was. But I got to the, my breaking point. I, I got to my breaking point. Was, we were having a conversation late at night. And uh, I, I was probably being a jerk. And we were talking about that. And I just broke down. Like, just, guys, if you don't ever admit that you cry, like, you're not manly, okay? Just so you know, like, it's not a cool thing to never cry. You have feelings. Show them. It's fine. Um, so I just broke down. Just straight up. Like, just mess. Ugly cry. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. The ugly cry, okay? Um, and I had just had, like, I just, I started telling her, like, all the stuff I was feeling. And, and get, this is what will happen. When, when you take your feelings and you speak them out, you put light to them. Because before that, they're just in the darkness. So if you've got some stuff, like maybe some of you have had some stuff going on uh, over the last few months, it's real. Talk to someone about it. Share with God about it. Put those feelings out to the light and he will shine his light on you. But here's what happened when I did that. When I broke down and stopped trying to fight, it was just, I was done. Sarah came to me, and she encircled me, gave me a hug, and comforted me. You see, I think what happens when we get to a point in life where we're like, God, you've searched me, you know me, and, and life is just hard. What he wants you to remember is that he has encircled you, and he's not crushed you, but he's comforted you. And he wants you to realize that he's trying to do that. And just like last week when we saw in Psalm 46, if you, some of you were watching that, uh, it said, stop your fighting and know that I am God. God said that. And he's encircled us and he's not crushed us, but he's comforted us. So maybe you've had a, you've been at a breaking point and, and I think you can just maybe rest in the fact that God cares for you so deeply and wants you to know that he has encircled you and he has had, he has put his right hand on you to guide you, not to crush you. And then this is what David says. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. 
I'm unable to reach it. The fact that God, you, you have searched me, you've known me, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, you understand my thoughts, you're so far away, you know my intentions, you know everything about me. This is a, a theological term I'm gonna teach you because you don't have to be afraid of big words and we're gonna teach you big words and it's gonna be fun. Uh, this is the, the idea, a theological term called omniscience. God is omniscient. Okay, church, can you say that with me, whether you're home or here? Uh, omniscient. Let's do it again, let's do it again. Omniscient, okay? Uh, so you can impress your friends later. It'd be great. Uh, but this is the idea that God knows everything that there is to know. He knows it all. He knows everything. Everything. There's nothing God uh, that, that, that God doesn't know. He knows it all. He's omniscient. But in the face, in front of that power, that amount of power, we have uh, usually two tendencies. One, either to run away, or two, to either lean in. Like, imagine, if every if there was one person in your life who knew everything about you, knew what you were thinking, when you were thinking it, knew what you were going to say before you said it, would you want to be around them? Maybe not when you're having a bad day, right? And the church said, <laughs> you guys aren't trained on that. We're going to have to retrain, okay, on the whole amen thing. Okay, that's fine. Hey, by the way, like, uh, for those of you at home, like, I know that you are amening and clapping and, and all that, but I just can't see it. Uh, right now, I can see uh, people's reaction. It's fun because you guys sometimes laugh. You laugh more than the camera does. It's super exciting. It's super exciting. Like, uh, usually when I'm preaching just to the camera, the camera is just like this. No expression at all. Like how some of you are mostly on Sunday. Like, oh, but the camera never falls asleep. So that's, that's pretty cool. I noticed, just so you know, I can see you. Oh, that's just fun. Okay, falling off the rails. All right, get back on it. All right, uh, goes on. David takes a turn. Verse seven, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, get under the covers, and, and, and will hide me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So why would David say that? Like we can brush this passage off as like a literary device to say, okay, David's just making his point that God is everywhere, right? He is omnipresent. We'll get on that in a minute. But he's not only omniscient, he knows it all, but he's also everywhere. Like he's not to be escaped from. And uh, he's just making his point. He's using a little hypothetical, like if I were to not want to be around you, God, I can't even do it. Or we could look at this as a representation of how oftentimes we operate in our lives and see that, oh, maybe David did actually want to escape. Maybe David did actually want to get some alone time alone without God being there. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Like, think about it. When do you most run away from God? When you got some stuff in there, some sin that you were like, oh, wretchedly aware of. And, and let's just be honest, like if you know anything about King David's life, the dude had some sin, right? Dude had some messed up stuff going on. Goes out, he's, you know, he's supposed to be at war. It goes out and he's like, oh, she's pretty. Ha, bring her over here. She's married. Oh, it don't matter. Sleeps with her and then is, then calls her husband to come back from battle and is like, hey, 
go sleep with your wife so that, you know, he can cover it up. She does, he doesn't. He's like, no, man, like, I'm not gonna do that with my, with my comrades out on war. I'm not gonna do that. And so David kills him, has him killed in battle. Like, David's messed up dude. Right? Messed up dude. Did some stuff. So maybe there's some stuff in there. And yet he was also a man after God's own heart. Maybe things not so black and white all the time. So David, maybe he does want to escape God's presence because maybe he was wrestling with something that he shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been dealing with. Maybe he did some stuff that he shouldn't have done. It's like, God, I, even if I wanted to get away from you, I can't do it. I can't get under the covers. You're still there. I can't go into space and go on SpaceX and get onto the International Space Station and get away from you. I can't do it. I can't get to Mars and, and you'll still be there. I can't go and die. You'll be there. I mean, you know, you're going to send Jesus and he's going to go down into death and death ain't going to be able to hold him. And then on the third day, he's going to rise again. And he's even there because he's going to say, hey, even when you die, you're going to be with me through me. Right. That's good news, by the way. Uh, yeah. Amen. Good. All right. Uh, I can't escape. I can't escape. So maybe David actually is in a place where he wants to escape. He goes on in verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Any any uh, people who knit in here? Not many. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Crochet. Okay. okay. All right. Cool. All right. Anyway, uh, more, more on that later. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. So uh, I was curious on this because it says uses a imagery that, that God knew me and he knitted me together in my mother's womb. He's doing some stuff. I was like, I wonder what the trick is, the secret to becoming a great knitter. It's like, hmm. so I googled it. And found out the secret. And what they say is that if you want to be a great knitter, someone who knits, then you need to be able to read the, the stitches. You need to be able to read it. You need to be able to look at something that has been knitted and read it. You need to be able to see it. You need to understand all the different stitches that you can do. You need to be able to know exactly what's happening. Because that's you, if you mess up, you know exactly what needs to be fixed. If you want to make it exactly what it needs to be, then you know exactly how to do it. And I was like, hmm. You know, like we've come a long way in a hundred years or so, you know, of medical technology and our understanding of the human biology and human chemistry, right? We, we know some stuff, right? We can, we can heal people in some, in some pretty remarkable, miraculous kind of ways. But there's still a lot that we need to work on. There's still a lot of stuff that still happens that still plagues us as human beings, right? Still a lot of diseases we don't have any kind of, uh, you know, uh, way, to, way to fix, right? Like we don't have any kinds of things for a lot of different things. We're still learning. But here's the thing about God who knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows exactly what he is doing. 
He doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the stitch that needs to go right there. He knows it all. He he knows exactly what he's doing. And get this, and this is parents, I I would really highly encourage you to eat, whether your kids are teenagers, whether your kids are younger than that, whether your kids are older and adults, I don't care. This is what I would encourage you to do. Look at at verse uh, 14. I will praise you, get this, David was looking at himself, because I have been remarkably and wondrously made, your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. What if we as parents, no matter how old your kids are, remember your job never stops, uh, what if we could speak life into our kids' lives so that they would understand that they are remarkably and wondrously made by the handcrafted God who creates all things? What if we could understand? What if they could understand that they are handcrafted by the all-creative God? Adults, teenagers, whoever you are, have you ever had moments where you looked in the mirror and you're like, wish you were different? I wish you were a little bit taller. I wish it was baller. Some of y'all got that. Okay. Um, you ever had moments? You're like, no, not doing it. You ever looked in the mirror and said, I hate you. You're no good. You're worthless. You see, what God is wanting us to see is that he has handcrafted each one of you. And you don't need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I wish I was something else. God made you on purpose, remarkably and wondrously. And what if our kids, what if all of us were able to rest in the fact that God sees us in that kind of way? Rather than trying to get approval from the people out there, trying to get approval from our friends, trying to get approval from social media, trying to get approval from our boss, trying to get approval from our spouse, trying to get approval from our parents. What if we could rest in the fact that God made us wonderfully and remarkably and he made us by hand? That would make a difference. So what if we as parents could speak that life into them? When we see our kids saying, oh, I just, I wish I was this, I wish I was that. And even when we don't see that, what if we could speak life into them? Hey, God made you purposefully, wonderfully, beautifully amazing. You can rest in that. Because David, when he looked at himself, he praised God because of it. Not because he was impressed by himself, but because he was impressed with the God who made him. I think that would make a difference. So I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wonderfully made. See, God sees all things. (laughs) Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Verse 16. David's saying like, hey, before I was even in the womb, you knew everything about me. You saw me. You noticed me. See, God is not only omniscient, he knows all things, but he's also omnipresent. Okay, church, we're going to do it again. Those of you at home and here, uh, we're going to say this together. He is omnipresent. Here we go. He is omnipresent. It's good. It's good. It's good. We're going to impress our friends, you know, but that's not what we're going to for approval. Remember, we're made in God's image. We don't need that. Okay, so here's what God does. It's pretty cool. So just imagine we, we laid out a canvas right in front of us, right? Okay, and, and on that canvas was all of history, past, present, and future. Everything that will exist was just right there. And we were able to take a step back and just look at it. Be able to look at any time, whether it's happened in our time right now or not. That is what God does. God is 
outside of time. He doesn't operate under the limitations of time and space. He knows all things in that canvas. He is present in all things in that canvas. He is not the chair, but he is here. That's another thing, like everything is God. That's not who God is. No, he is God. He is spirit. And he is able to see everything and know everything. And this is crazy stuff. Like when you start to think about who God is, your brain will start to hurt. Straight up, will. So he says, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. All of them. He could see it. He could see everything that you've ever done before you ever did it. Before you even thought about it. Before you ever walked in it. But here's the thing people are going to ask. Well, does that mean God causes everything to happen? No. See, we have free will. We get to either walk in the good things that he planned beforehand or we choose not to. We can mess up God's plan for our lives. But he will be there with us in the midst of it and show us the better way. And yet he's there and he's outside of there knowing exactly what's happening and present in it. Right? Right? Because we cannot think in outside of time. We have to think inside of time. We just can't do it. But God is outside of that. He's not affected by the winds and the waves of the culture and all the whatever. He's, he's not affected by it. He's, he's still present, unchanging, loving, and present, and knowing all things. He's still here. So if, if you get to that point, he, David says, God, how precious your thoughts are. To me, this is amazing uh, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I wake up. I am still with you. I just imagine like David out on the beach, you know, he's having a good day. And then he starts thinking about God and like what his thoughts are and like how they are. And like the fact that he would have infinite thoughts and he's trying to count them, you know, and, and then he falls asleep on the, on the beach. And he wakes up, he's like, oh. God, you're still with me. Like just trying to count how many thoughts God has. And he just can't do it. But he goes on and says this. <laughs> okay, all right, hold on first. Don't put it up there yet. <laughs> all right, imagine David is at a counseling session, okay? And he's like telling the counselor like, ah, oh, this is God's, God knows me. God made me. It's so cool. Uh, I want to escape him sometimes because I'm messed up. But man, like that dude knows some stuff. You know, like he's amazing. I don't know if you can call God dude. I don't know. Maybe it's okay. I haven't been smited yet. So, okay. So he's that. He's like, oh God, you're awesome, right? Verse 19. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Uh, Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. And in the next couple of verses, you've imagined them to be read like this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. That's not how it reads in context, right? It's like, search me, God. Oh, know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. 
So I just imagine like, like a kid, right, who, who has some, some bullies in his life and, and you know, he's just having this conversation with God and this counselor. He's like, man, God's so amazing. And as I'm on this topic, you see those people right there, God, can you kill them? <laughs> hey, hey, they're, they're wronging you, God, right? Right? Yeah, yeah kill them, smite them. I hate them. Right, Dad? Right? Yeah, we're not, we don't like them, huh? Yeah, God's going to get you. Okay, right? Like having a, that, that, my dad is going to get you, man. And then, Dad, you're going to get him, right? Like, can you do that? <laughs> so David, I can just imagine him having this moment, and he's like looking at the people who he's thinking about, and he's like, God, smite them. And, and here's the thing, like he, he's, I hate them with an extreme hatred. That's messed up, right? But it's out of a zeal for God because these people are wronging God. So here's the thing. When you walk with Jesus, uh, you will have things come in you and you're like frustrated with the injustices of the world. Okay, You will have those moments where you're like, this is not how it should be at all. This is not good. God, where are you? Can you do something? Deal with these people. And I think God would say to David, uh, because the way we have seen Jesus come on board and the way, uh, let me just give you an example. So Saul, right? The, the guy who is persecuting Christians, uh, he, he's killing people and then he's on the road, uh, to another city and God and Jesus appears to him, blinds them, is like, hey, why are you persecuting me? You need to, Fall in line and follow after me. You've been persecuting my people. You've been persecuting me. And then Paul has his life. He has his name changed. So it's, you know, fresh start kind of thing. Uh, and then he starts following after Jesus. And then he writes something in Romans 12, which is crazy because of where he came from. He says, hey, repay no one evil for evil. Hey, if you have some enemies, feed them. If you have some enemies, take care of them. And remember, hey, leave room for God's wrath because vengeance is his. That's what he says. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So if if Jesus were having a conversation with David right now, I think he'd be like, hey, bro, you you got some zeal for God. That's cool. But hey, uh, smiting people is not the answer. Smiting people is not the answer. But I think David shows us something very valuable for us in our day and time. Because in your zeal for uh, seeing the world become what you want it to become, right? And like uh, all this stuff, we got an election coming up and all this stuff. And, you know, if, as if things weren't divided already, we'll just throw that into the mix of a pandemic and all that stuff. It's going to be fun. <laughs> the problem we have is that some of us are discipled more by Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever other thing you watch than we are by Jesus. So what that means is we are propelled to be divisive based on the party that we are a part of. And the thing is, all these different news channels and all these different uh, political uh, stances, what they want you to do is to be so divided that you will look at the other people as the enemy. And you will look at them, God, they are wicked, they are evil, smite them. It's, it's okay to be against injustices, to be against things that are wrong. It's good, it's holy. But, do you see what David did? He's like, God, hey, kill him! I hate him! Right? 
But then he says, search me, O God. Know me. Look inside of me. What does he say exactly? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in, what does he say? In me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So what if in the midst of the rest of this year, as if it wasn't enough of a dumpster fire, what if we could follow Jesus in saying, hey, some people are doing some bad stuff. They're not going about it the way I would want them to go about it. And I'll speak out against that, whatever. I'll, I'll make my voice heard at the voting booth. Do it. But in the midst of me having my fire stoked toward those things, what if I also had my fire stoked to say, God, there's some wickedness out there, but there's also probably some wickedness in me. And I, God, no, search me, know me, deal with me. Show me what is in here. Because I won't be able to change what's out there until I have what's in me changed. And then we ask God, hey, lead me in the everlasting way. I mean, if we're going to go on a way, wouldn't it be the everlasting way? Wouldn't that be the one we would want to go on to have our guide be God himself, the one who knows every path, the one who knows the path that we need to be on? This is why I want you to walk away with. Let God lead the way every day. Let God lead the way every day. Let God lead the way. Let God lead the way. There's going to be moments in your life and then you're weak where you have an opportunity to let God lead the way or to choose your own way. To go to the path of comfort or to go to the path of righteousness. To go to the path that Jesus would want you to have. There's going to be opportunities. Let God lead the way. Put it to a song. I don't care. You put it to a country song. Let God lead the way. You know, that kind of thing. Or a rap song, whatever, you know, or rock, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Put it to a song. Let God lead the way. Every day. Let God lead the way. You know, if I had a turntable up here, we maybe put a beat to it, but we're not going to do that because I'm already running out of time. Okay. So how can this impact our day? If we were to actually let God lead the way every single moment, then what would happen? Uh, for those of us who are parents, I think we can just go back to making sure that we help our kids understand that they are made in God's image. They are wonderfully and fearfully made by his hand. And I think we need to do that for ourselves. If you're a parent of a, an adult kid, you still need to speak that to them. You still need to. Your spouse, like, speak life into them. They don't need you to pick them apart. They need you to love them. Speak life to them. Hey, you're fearfully wonderful. Hey, you are beautiful. Hey, boo. Handcrafted by the all-creative God. He was doing some good stuff with you. Speak life into their lives. For those of you who have some, some friends, all of us have some friends. Speak life into them. Don't, don't drive them further into the wedge of divisiveness of our day. Say, hey, man, I, I, I get it. That's, that's frustrating. And we should definitely do something about it. But I've also been learning that there's some stuff in me that I need to work out. Well, why don't you come along with me for the journey? What if we could point people to the God who would guide us on a better way, on a better path? Because at the end of the day, we are either going to walk this life as our own guide, and we'll see where we end up. Or we'll walk this life understanding that we need God to guide us. 
And that brings about a very healthy level of humility that we all need. So uh, just, just to give you one more story, and I'll, I'll be done after this. So uh, when, when we were, uh, Sarah and I went to Arizona, one of the first times we went there to visit her dad, uh, we went on a little bit of a hiking trip with her dad, her dad's friend, uh, and her, uh, her sister and her sister's kids. Uh, this is before Sarah and I had kids. Like, we didn't even know how, you know, easy we had it, right? Um, and so we, <laughs> her dad's friend was our guide, on this little excursion that we had, a little hiking trip. And dude was a weird dude, okay? Weird dude. But we knew he knew some stuff. Sometimes the weird people are like the most knowledgeable ones, right? You ever notice that? No. Are you sitting next to one you don't want to admit it? Okay, all right, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but he, he took us on this trip and then like, you know, we got to see these really hundreds of years old Native American paintings that were inside of these cliffs and stuff. Like, it was crazy. We were able to see, like, trying to imagine where they lived in this little space in Arizona. It was so cool. But we would have never have gotten on that kind of a trip if it weren't for our guide. You know, life with a guide who knows more about life than you do is really, really fun. It's an adventure. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes those hiking trips are hard. Makes your legs hurt. Makes your emotions hurt. But life is always better. With the guide. So let God lead the way. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your presence, for the fact that you know us uh, inside and out. You know every little bit of us. You know every part of us. And yet you still loved us enough, even knowing all that, to send Jesus to be our hope, to be the sacrifice that we needed so that we would have life for eternity. God, we thank you for the fact that you are omniscient. You know all things. You're omnipresent. We know that you are always with us. We cannot even escape you if we wanted to. God, thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for the fact that you have encircled us and have comforted us. Help us to rest in that this week as we're navigating whatever life will throw at us. God, help us to be confident that the way uh, you are leading us is the way we need to go. God, creating us some humility as we live in our present day and time that is full of division, uh, that is full of animosity uh, and sensationalism. God, help us not to buy into all that. Help us to be uh, completely anchored in who you are and what you say about life and what you say about us. God, would you please make a way for us to be able to see ourselves the way you see us, the same way you see Jesus. God, I pray that you would lead the way and that we would follow you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In church, you said? Amen. Amen. So we have read Psalm 139. We have talked about Psalm 139. Now, if you would, go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing Psalm 139 together. You with me on the way 